You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. After Florida wins and beats Miami 24-20 to 20 in the opening Week 0 game of the season. And joining me on this Miami Game Reaction episode is Will Salmon from The Athletic. Will, Florida survives in a uh, 24-20 win. Uh, it was a, a game of you know, sloppiness and, and lack of focus uh, at times. Uh, Gators didn't let up, found a way to win this one. Uh, you know, there'll be some overreaction out there to just one game, but uh, – you know, there shouldn't be any overreacting by not enjoying this victory from, from players, coaches, fans. Uh, you know, fans, players, and coaches need to enjoy this win over a rival. No doubt. I think you put it well with the word survive at first because that's exactly what they what they did. I mean, they survived it because Miami was a pretty good team, and they, and they are. And I think that Miami is going to, in a few weeks from now, sooner rather than later, end up in the top 25 because they're that, they're that good, you know? And I think that Florida fans kind of lose sight of that a little bit when you look at and you start to analyze some of the different areas of that game, whether it was Florida's inability to get the run game going or their pass protection or Felipe Franks, you forget that, hey, this was a really good Miami defense that they played against. And like, I know that maybe Florida fans don't want to give some Miami Miami that much credit there, but they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty sound. And they know what they're doing. And they came in with a really good game plan and uh, stacking the box and making things really difficult for Florida to get anything going offensively. So I give a lot of credit to Miami for the way they played. And their, their redshirt freshman quarterback, I thought was pretty impressive for a guy who was sacked, what, 10 times and yeah. faced pressure nonstop. I mean, that kid, that kid impressed me. He, he had a nice little game too. And it was some smart game planning on their part offensively. So survive, like I, like I, like you said at the beginning, man, that's, that's really the right way to put it just because, you know, Miami gave it their all and, you know, Florida just kind of withstood it and uh, was still the better team at the end of the game. Yeah. I'm glad you said it that way too. Cause in a way, and survive is not necessarily a negative term there. <laughs> you, you found a way to win the game. Uh, yeah, yeah, expectations coming into the season, and a lot of expectations were around, you know, Florida to win by a couple scores here. Uh, and But, you know, uh, all in all, it, we, we've all discussed it. Look, I mean, yeah, I get, don't get me wrong. We, I, I think you did too, and I know I picked a, a couple score. Florida wins by a couple scores. But we all did say this Miami defense would be, you know, would would and could be a problem, uh, and, and more so, you know, Florida and self-inflicted wounds too. We'll get we'll get to all that. Uh, but you know, Miami was bringing a defense and you know a, a way to keep that game close, uh, like they did. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we could definitely talk about those self-inflicted problems because, you know, maybe the game's a little bit different and maybe the, the game planning is different from there on out if those fumbles don't occur because, yeah, you know, Miami didn't score promptly off that first one, but that really halted the momentum of uh, one of Florida's drives. They were deep in, deep in their territory when that happened, and that just really halted whatever momentum that they had. I'm not the biggest believer in, say, momentum, but they were mm. right there. So, I mean, that's that, that was a scoring opportunity gone for you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we saw we saw a bunch of different things. I don't know exactly um, what you want to hit on first here because there's so many different areas that you can go to, David. But, yeah. um, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, though, it's like, you know, 
would Florida fans sign up for 1-0, a 24-20 victory over Miami? Maybe at the beginning of the beginning of the year, a couple of months ago, or even maybe a couple of weeks ago for that matter, you wish for like that two score outcome. And like you said, I kind of I kind of thought it would be at least a 10 point game for Florida. Um, but man, this isn't exactly Charleston Southern that you played in the opener. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So um, you kind of have to take what you get there um, and just say to yourselves, OK, this was a win. Uh, there, there's a bye week now for you to sort of clean up your mistakes, go over the film. And that's what this game sort of provides you uh, mm -hmm. with, is that it gives you that learning experience early in the year that a lot of teams don't have right now. And so instead of going to the film and watching a game against an FCS opponent where you really can't get a whole lot out of, hey, it's August 25th and you have an opportunity to review some mistakes against a high caliber team and sort of fix some problems that you have or not problems per se, but some issues that, that need some corrections or just some areas of, of improvement. Yeah. And the thing is, you can say you played bad and you still found a way to win. And so it, it's a lot. It, it's probably better today that they're looking at film knowing there was a W behind that and, and not a loss. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll get into all of it uh, coming up. We'll go over the game and, and get our thoughts for certain situations, certain players and, and all that. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Also, catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or YouTube when using those services. Please share, rate, and review Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And also, it came out last week, exclusive News 4 Jacks exclusive, Talking with Troop, former Gators tight end Ben Troop would join me every week. Uh, it'll probably be midweek uh, for um, – uh, on news for Jackson gives his thoughts you know, only like Ben can. So uh, he brings it every time he's on and you can catch that every week exclusively on news jackscom slash Gators breakdown. So, well, well, it, it did start good for the Gators. Uh, you know, and I figured in my preview last week, you know, I did say Dan Enos would draw up a good for offensive first drive. Uh, that's kind of seems to be his MO uh, there. And, and that's what he did for Miami. And, you know, but, but Florida, does make them settle for a field goal. And then the first offensive possession for the Gators, they convert a fake punt. And then very next play, Tony takes the screen 66 yards, marks the first first quarter touchdown versus the FBS opponent since the Tennessee game last season. So you know, it was good to get off to a great start, but it didn't necessarily translate into a scoring frenzy. They will the, the first touchdown of the season was to a player. The fans want to see the ball in his hands more and Frank's longest touchdown pass of his career. Yeah, and it was off the screen. So how about that? <laughs> you know, for all the talk about Frank's arm strength, and rightfully so, it was off the screen. And that matters because Florida's wide receivers as a whole, they ranked in the top 20 last year in yards after catch. And that speaks to their explosiveness and their ability to kind of create explosive plays on their own with just the ball in their hand. And that's what I'd like to see more of and what I would have preferred to have seen more of just even last night um, with more passes like that. I, I'm just like – uh, that's part of the game plan where I got kind of confused is like why they sort of like went away from that or mm -hmm. why they just didn't keep going to that um, because I felt like that was there for for um, a bit of time. And, you know, we even saw them have a little bit of success on the perimeter with uh, Tony with some sweeps and even Piran for that matter. Um, it was the runs inside where like they, they really had nothing going on in there. Um, and they really couldn't take advantage of the of the one on one matchups with uh, Felipe Franks and a couple of guys on the outside that they tried early on too. Uh, but yeah, that that first drive, man, that's kind of like what everybody would have signed up for at the beginning of the game. You know, quick, efficient, and explosive with a guy that you want to see in Kadarius Tony. And then defensively, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it was not surprising to see uh, the screens. I, I wrote about that a lot the other day, heading into the game from Danny Nose, especially with a young quarterback. You don't want him throwing the ball downfield, taking taking too many risks there. So um, I, I was kind of uh, surprised that uh, Florida wasn't like playing a little bit more press in that situation mm -hmm. back up a little bit, sort of allowing it to happen and unfold slightly. Uh, they shirted up though afterward and kind of corrected that and made the adjustment. Uh, but yeah, they were able to kind of go downfield uh, pretty efficiently in their own right uh, with, with Miami. And, you know, it kind of made things for a little bit concerning, but again, you point to that 
ability to thwart touchdowns in the red zone. That was something that they were really good at last year. A very good team as far as not allowing teams to score touchdowns once they reach the once they reach the red zone, and that happened uh, a couple of times last night as well. So again, that speaks to their their resolve defensively as a unit to kind of just stay strong once once they're in that sort of situation. Yeah, and then you know um, after that first touchdown for for, for the Gators offense, you got kind of alluded to it. Defense forced a, uh, a three and out uh, after that, and the offense gets the ball, has a nice drive going on, and, and knocking on the door to score again. Felipe Franks to Michael Pirine can't figure out a handoff, and you know maybe recovers the fumble. Will it just? You kind of alluded to this before we got into it. It, it did seem at that point it looked like you know Florida was about to go up two scores, and, and that fumble just changed kind of the complexion of the game from there on out. You know, even though Miami goes three and out again, Florida on the very first. The play of the next offensive drive and Malik Davis not being able to handle a pitch ball, you know, shoots around everywhere and looks like Florida recovers, but Miami comes out of the pile and gets a fumble recovery. And at that point, Will, you Miami's getting amped up, uh, you know, Florida's have some self-inflicted errors here. And after the first two drives where Florida went five plays for 79 yards for a touchdown, then the 12 play 51 yard drive that ended in that first fumble. You know, after those first two drives, the next three drives of the first half, one play, negative eight yards with the Davis fumble, three play, seven yard drive, then a four play, 15 yard drive. And only uh, that was with only 45 seconds left before halftime. So, you know, kind of a throwaway drive there, but still, you know, so really only four drives in in the first half because of turnovers and all that gave Miami some momentum uh, with more chances to make something happen. And and going back to the preview last week, I thought if Florida could get up by a couple scores early then the chances uh, of winning and winning by a couple scores were really good. Uh, So that was probably the most frustrating part because that game, that, that, that was really almost there but that first turnover kind of just changed everything. Yeah, no doubt. And I wish I would have been able to sort of ask Felipe Franks exactly like what the, what the issue was there, because I don't want to place blame on the wrong person. Usually I would assume it's the quarterback in that situation where it's a sort of a, that, that read handoff situation and you have to either pull it or, or give it mm-hmm. to the right back. And it looks like there was probably a miscommunication there. Uh, so although I don't want to really assume like what the yeah. issue was, you could kind of, piece it together and figure it out. Um, but yeah, I didn't get the opportunity to talk to him about that particular play. So hopefully uh, sometime during this bye week, we, we get a hold of him and, and we can talk a little bit more about that and just uh, kind of be a little bit more informed and just get his take on it. Because uh, that was surprising to see because that was a play that that really worked out. I mean, that's a bread and butter butter thing for them last year. And, um, and then even that pitch, I know Malik Davis is uh, somebody who missed all last year pretty much. Um, that's something that they work on all the time, that pitch play. And so that was a little bit interesting to kind of see that unfold the way it did too. So, you know, when you look at those things, those are the things like where, you know, I was tweeting earlier this morning about just correctable mistakes or issues that can be fixed. To me, those, those are two things that I look mm-hmm. at that are like, okay, and you know, how many times is that going to happen um, over the course of a game? I know turnover, turnovers are part of the game, but like the, in those particular ones, I'm not sure how often we're going to see that from Florida just because those are things that they practice so much. And um, I was pretty surprised to see that. Like, I mean, you're going to see interceptions. You're, you're going to see that sort of thing sometimes. But those particular fumbles or, and mistakes, uh, I, you know, I wasn't too um, – I, w- I was pretty surprised, to, to put it simply, on, on those. Yeah, me too. It's uh, Especially with all the – you know, the one thing we could point to for Florida this year with experienced skill players – and it was those experienced skill players uh, causing uh, or getting the mistakes uh, called on them. So, uh, you know, caught in the mistakes. So, yeah, it was really surprising. Uh, but, you know, hopefully it's just the, the first game, uh, ugliness, sloppiness. Uh, and as you said, incredible mistakes. They get it and move on from there. We will get to the second half, and except for uh, one Miami touchdown drive, the Gators defense really clamped down. Uh, Ten sacks over the night, six in the second half. 16 tackles for loss. Uh, the one Miami touchdown drive was 75 yards in the second half. But besides that, uh, the defense held Miami to these totals on drives. Negative one, four, 15, 29, and the last drive of the game, 14 yards. But, you know, Miami was driving due to passing interference calls and a lot of penalties uh, there. So, uh, for the game, Will, the, the defense gave up scoring drives of 56 yards in a field goal, 27 yards in a field goal, 90 yards in a touchdown. 75 yards in the touchdown. 
looking at those numbers and just kind of read them on you know on the surface there it really is surprised that you know Miami was really able to in two of their two touchdown drives there 75 yards and 90 yards you know you got you kind of look at it at that point you got them where you want them your defense has got them in great field position and they go for long scoring drives well here's the thing like where, where would that defense be if like there weren't that many missed tackles over the course of yeah. last you know what I mean with uh, that run, that one 50 yard touchdown play in particular uh the running back I think broke what four or five tackles and it was not even like that he was being all that shifty mm-hmm. or that elusive in my opinion it was it was almost as if they they just I don't want to say gave up on the play but uh, a little bit less effort than what we were accustomed to seeing from Florida's defense on that particular on that particular run and so yeah, that was kind of a, a bit mind boggling just to see like that many missed tackles and, you know, what the, what the issue was. But, you know, I will say this, David, that that's the case for a lot of teams early on in the season. Yeah. You know, this isn't something that's like suddenly uh, a new phenomenon here. I mean, I'm, I, you could probably go back to the Charleston Southern game even last year. Mm-hmm. And for say, sure. Yeah. Oh, OK, this was probably an issue off the top of my head, just like anecdotally, I could probably I could feel a little bit safe remembering that was a bit of an issue. And yeah. certainly it, it reoccurred against uh, Kentucky early on in the year, too. And, you know, sometimes you, you you are fearful of that because the year prior, it was a season long issue for Florida in 2017. But with these guys, I just I just don't see that happening uh, just because, look, they're, they're a lot of the same players from last year. We know what they're capable of. And I, I will just toss that up to you. So, again, some some sloppiness out of a week zero matchup in late August um, because the defense really did play pretty well, mm-hmm. um, particularly with that pass rush, man. That was, that was impressive. And, and I know it was against a pretty inexperienced offensive line as far as the tackles go, and they really feasted off those guys. But that's exactly what you wanted to see. And I think people were a little bit surprised about just how good Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Grenard looked. I know people expected to for them to be okay there and for that loss of Ja'Kai Polite not to really be that significant, even though he led them in sacks, tackles for loss, and all that good stuff. Uh, just because you believe in Todd Grantham and his track record and you knew what you had coming back and what you brought in with Jonathan Grenard. So uh, you felt probably pretty good about that if you're a Florida fan. But then to kind of see it actually unfold and to look as good as it did because – you know, if you look back at that last drive, for example, it wasn't like Todd Grantham was bringing the house on these plays. I mean, he was rushing four guys for the most part, and it was really Zuniga um, operating alongside Kyrie Campbell and Jonathan Grenard on that line. And then they were probably blitzing somebody like a uh, David Reese or a Ventrell Miller or a, Jer- a Jeremiah Moon. So it was mostly like four or five guys at max that that were that were rushing. So again, it was it was good to see because some guys did end up making some plays that that were a little bit unexpected too, like a Ventral Miller, for example. Yeah, I mean, at least when we can discuss what that pass rush was doing, at least that was one part of the game we did forecast going into this game, and it actually showed up. It was, you know, the Florida didn't win by two scores. You know, we expected the offense. We and we'll get into Felipe Franks here next. We expected him maybe to take a, a, a next step, but uh, the one thing that did show up that everybody was forecasting was this Florida defensive line being a mismatch for this young Miami offensive line, and it did not disappoint. I don't know if I saw ten sacks coming, <laughs> but I definitely saw you know a lot of pressure being made, and those guys living in the backfield. And well, it was funny. Will Miles and I did our over under stuff last week. We put the we put the uh, number for thirty over under for sacks on the season. Well, Florida's only got twenty more to match that now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you put the over, if you put some money on that, man, you must be really good, right? The over on, like, what they have last year, like 37 sacks? Yeah, 37, yeah. If you put the over on that, I mean, after this, I mean, like, they're they're feeling pretty good because yeah. you got 10 sacks and you got two FCF. Yeah. I'm looking pretty good for that over if you, if you play some some uh, some money on that. But, but yeah, man, I mean, it was, it, was, um, it was good from that instance because it was also a variety of guys. Yeah. We mentioned those two in particular, Zuniga and Grenard, and and they certainly got theirs. But I thought Campbell did pretty well. I thought I thought he went under the radar in um, commanding some double teams and also freeing his, him, himself up on those two and, and getting to the quarterback. I think he had maybe one sack. Um, and again, I point to Miller's speed. I mean that that really jumped out to me right away. He had that early sack. He had a I think a sideline to sideline stop where he made a shoestring tackle to force a third and long situation early on too. And then he appeared late in coverage as well in, uh, during that final drive where he helped make a stop in the end in the in the end zone on a deep pass. 
uh, with the game on the line. So, I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about Ventrell Miller. I thought he came away uh, one of the most impressive guys. And by that same token, uh, Jeremiah Moon played well, too. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, who was on the field uh, when the game was on the line for Florida's defense? Uh, that's something that a lot of people weren't really talking too much about, but we saw Sean Davis make a play. Uh, Taylor was on the field. I mentioned Ventrell Miller and Moon and uh, those three guys on the line. Plus you had those two corners and Dean. So certainly it looked like those were the guys that Todd Grantham was um, you know, most sort of uh, reliant on during that game. And, and they showed up for him, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, Juwan uh, Taylor, yeah. Let's see. I was pulling it up here because you just mentioned the guys. I remember looking at earlier. Juwan Taylor, Ventrell Miller, Kyrie Campbell, Grenard Zuniga all had six tackles. <laughs> so, uh, and that led the way. Uh, and, and then Marco Wilson and David Reese with five tackles and a slew of guys with four uh, and, and three. So, multiple tackles and a high amount of tackles from, you know, a few of those guys, five, five, six of those guys getting six tackles. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned the names that were out there. And like you, uh, I think uh, I was going to save this for later when we go and, and discuss players, you know, because when we get the Felipe Franks here. But we got – I'll continue the Ventrell Miller talk here. Uh, he set a career high with six tackles, two sacks. Uh, you know, we talked about Amari Bernie in that spot a whole lot this offseason – and it's Ventrell Miller who really showed out the, this game from, from, you know, from that money linebacker spot. Uh, and he was in there early uh, and some early downs, some early running downs. They did, took him out on third down a couple of times, and that's when Bernie would come in uh, a lot. And I know we, we like Bernie's speed, and they're probably in passing situations, he's probably more fit for that role. Cause that was a question I had about Amari Bernie coming into this, this game into uh, as a linebacker is, can he hold up by getting hit by offensive linemen and running backs time again? And then very next play, you either have to split out wide or and cover a tight end or cover a tight end who's on the end of a line. Uh, you know, you asking that you're asking that linebacker to do a, a lot of roles and how he's not used to necessarily getting hit play after play after play and then having to go cover a tight end. But then Ventrell Miller, I mean, we heard rave reviews all throughout fall camp that these young young linebackers behind Bernie and, and Reese were really really impressive and game one Ventrell Miller's name is called a lot yeah I mean how great is that for Florida because you mentioned like you know what kind of toll does that take on Bernie and what can he give you from game to game and how consistent can he be how much can you rely on him well that question isn't as major of a concern if what you're getting at Ventrell Miller what you got out of Ventrell Miller last night translate into like a weekly consistent thing because he'll supply you um, a really good sort of foil to what Amari, Amari Bernie can supply you with. And we saw, so I, I saw somebody tweet at both of us earlier today asking about mm-hmm. Bernie in particular. Yeah. And, you know, he did play. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Thomas Goldcamp actually at 247 about this, and he, he brought up a really good point that I agree with. And that Bernie could sometimes play like a quiet game where, you know, you don't really see him. He doesn't really stand out. Maybe the ball isn't thrown his way. He's still doing his job. I feel like um, it's not like he's getting beat there. It's not like he's getting uh, you know m- missed assignments or anything like that. So I think sometimes he just doesn't really show up, uh, and he plays more of like a quiet game. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's playing badly, um, but yeah, I think that he just has that sort of style where he kind of does does his thing sometimes, and it's, it's easy to kind of overlook him. And he certainly didn't play as much as, as Ventrell Miller did either. So I think that was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, if you're if you're getting the production, why change it? I mean, Ventrell Miller did everything that you asked of the kid. Absolutely. So, of course, we got to get to uh, Felipe Franks and, and what his what he did for the night, and of course, that probably one of the bigger topics uh, for the night. And you know, I thought he played okay uh, in, in the first half, and nothing really jumped out, good or bad, uh, in the first half. Then we get to the second half, and we get the inconsistent Franks uh, in the second half that we've uh, come to know. Uh, you know, a high throw to Freddie Swain that. Maybe could have been caught, but would have been a tough catch. I originally thought, you know, just watching the replay uh, there in the stadium, it should have been uh, a catch after only seeing the, the replay once. But questionable either way, uh, I think it would have been tough to come down with. Uh, you know, it definitely should have been thrown earlier, uh, and, and it was there because the defender fell down. But, you know, his next, Felipe Frank, his next chance, uh, he gets up, throws a beautiful deep ball to Josh Hammond. 
Uh, and uh, look, you look the safety off to his left. Hammond had a step, and that sets up for a Florida touchdown a few plays later. And look, he had trouble with deep passes last year and, and last season. So that that was nice to see in the first game that he can connect down the field. Uh, and then four and a half minutes to go in the game, Will, and Florida takes over with a, a chance to salt the game away up 24-20. Look, we know Florida wasn't running the ball well. Mullen felt really comfortable, comfortable about putting the ball uh, in, in Felipe Frank's hands. Uh, gets hit as he's trying to throw uh, the ball out of bounds. That's what Mullen said after the game. It floats. It gets picked off. Uh, you know, so I don't know if you can necessarily ping that one on him too much. Uh, if you know he's trying to just get rid of the ball, he gets hit. And it, it floats a little bit. Uh, so you know, I'm not gonna put that one too much on him. But uh, I just didn't like throwing there, throwing the ball on that first down in the first place. Uh, but Mullen trusted the situation that came back to bite Florida. Uh, it all worked out in the end. You know, Miami misses a field goal. Florida goes on the win. And we know what was a clucky game because uh, you know there wasn't enough plays. But you know everyone was waiting to see if Felipe Franks has improved, could improve, will improve. As I said, he did some good things, did some bad things. Pretty much the same quarterback last night he has been. I don't think the opinion has much really changed on him uh, as what he is, as mainly just labeling him. He's the exact same right now after one game uh, in the 2019 season. So I don't think it was a terrible performance, but uh, I think the expectations getting higher for him really plays a part here in how you view his performance. Definitely. In a perfect world, what I think Florida fans wanted to see was some connections on a deep on a couple of deep passes. You wanted to see him not make some silly mistakes. You wanted to see him uh, take charge, feel conf- look confident, and really not second guess anything he did after the game. I think that was like if you wanted a checklist of things that Florida fans wanted to see from Felipe Franks, that was it. And I think that people are a little bit frustrated or slightly disappointed at, at the very least, just because they weren't able to put checks on those boxes after watching that game. And uh, they, they people wanted to because you know for a long time we we've been hearing since really. Um, that Michigan game and into the spring and into training camp about his improvement, his mm-hmm. overall uh, increase of knowledge of the offense. And like you're saying, um, he didn't exactly, in my opinion, play terribly. Um, I don't think, I don't think he played bad really. I, I just think it was an uneven performance and it was just uh, too similar to what we saw last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at this point people can say and point to Felipe Franks and say, okay, we, we know what we're getting out of him. And you know, that that's kind of fair because he has not um, recently taken that next step, although he still has a lot of time to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, people sort of like lose sight of that. But at the same time, uh, people expect more, like like you're saying, David. And those expectations are only going to get higher and higher um, the more Florida continues to win, too. I, I think that yeah, like it's it's cool that Florida wins and maybe he has an uneven performance, but people get restless after that and they want to see more from him because – People understand that, okay, it's going to take a little bit more to be a team like Georgia or a team like LSU at LSU. So that's what people are are sort of riled up about. And I understand their point of view on that. Um, But you can't say that you're really that surprised at the same time because, you know, he's still um, again. I mean, these are things that I've said before for all the talk that that we heard over the spring and over training camp about his improvement, we still hadn't seen it. We still hadn't seen him go against a live rush. And and this was his opportunity in this game. And again, I, I go back to the fact that this was a good team. This was a good defense that he went up against. And so it's not as if he was playing some cupcake and he he sort of uh, had an uneven performance and everybody's sort of questioning him. He, he didn't light it up against a great defense. And so you could interpret that the way you want to or, or how you can, and you could sort of, build your definition of Felipe Franks, however you, however you want to see fit, because you could say, okay, um, you could go as far as to say, he's like, okay, this is the Achilles heel of this team. But at the same time, you could, you could point to his ability to bounce back and his ability to, you know, show some, show, show some resolve and not be the reason why you lost the game. So, I mean, it kind of really depends on your point of view with him at this point. Uh, But it is growing to become, Hey, this is who Felipe Franks is at this point. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. I have to kind of go back and look at the game some more, and maybe why he didn't run more. Maybe why there wasn't more. You know, because him running and hitting him with his legs opens up the offense a little more. And uh, you know, Miami, as we said, you know, stacked the box to stop the run game. Uh, so that probably played a whole, you know, a part in how much we saw uh, or lack of Felipe Franks running there. Uh, he had passing plays of sixty-six and sixty-five yards, and um, he had. 
two passing plays of 60-plus yards all of last season, uh, the Gators did. So uh, 254 passing yards tied his third-highest single-game total. He had 284 of Vandy last year, 274 Idaho, and 254 versus FSU. Uh, and then kind of going with the turnovers, Felipe Franks, you know, kind of with involved uh, in, in those. Florida committed multiple turnovers just three times last year. Kentucky, Vandy, Georgia, lost two of those games. Uh, and, and its only game with three turnovers last season was Vanderbilt. Uh, so Franks lost fumble early in the second quarter was his first turnover since losing a fumble in his own one-yard line against Georgia last year. And the interception in the fourth fourth quarter snapped a streak of 157 consecutive attempts without an interception. So, Will, I mean, it's that's the frustrating part there too. I mean, it had been so long, uh, and we always talk about that stretch at the end of the season. But still, there were turnovers there that didn't happen uh, later in the season. And uh, I thought Florida might come out a little aggressive in this game with the offensive game plan, especially early on. Like I said, to maybe make Miami try and fight from behind. Uh, there, but that, that I don't, these turnovers weren't because of aggression. It was just, and we've already kind of alluded to it, just some sloppy play. Yeah. And, and again, I think for, I think Miami's game plan was pretty good though, too. I mean, they forced him to roll out and, and move to his left. And that clearly is a weakness for Felipe Franks, where he just does not look as comfortable going, going in that direction and throwing on the run as he is to say like the right side of the, his, his right side and making those type of throws. So, you know, you, again, you've got to give a lot of credit to Miami and they have such a good defense that I know I, I've kind of mentioned that point a bunch already, but it's just, you got to put that in perspective when you're analyzing this game and his performance. And, I think I think you're right. With those mistakes, uh, we could kind of detail them and point to them, but they weren't happening in those four games. So it is kind of um, concerning when you look at it going forward. But again, I mean, it's not as if he's not going to be the guy mm-hmm. next game. So uh, he is who Florida is going with, and you know, Dan Mullen continues to think that he is their best option to win games, and and he has not only the backing of Dan Mullen, but also his teammates. I mean, we saw a couple of guys on Twitter even speak out for him. So clearly he has that going for him too. There's a couple more stats from the defense here. Uh, Gators held Miami to two of 13 on third downs. Uh, that was 15.4%. The only opponent Florida held under 16% on third down last season was FSU. Uh, there, So we talked about the sacks and the Gators finished with five plus sacks for the sixth time in 14 games under defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. Ten sacks versus Miami, of course. Miller led the way there with two. Most sacks, Will, for an SEC team since 2008. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty that's pretty uh that's pretty astounding. I mean that's that's I mean it's pretty incredible when you when you look at that. I mean I don't know yeah I mean I don't I don't know too many people who entered this game thinking that they were gonna get that many. Uh, <laughs> the the pressure was also pretty cool. I mean like I mentioned earlier, I think uh, Todd Grantham really mixed it up pretty well. We saw Sean Davis come out on blitzes and make a couple of stops. Maybe he didn't quite get to the quarterback, but he altered some throws, and sometimes that's just as important. Um, yeah, Trey, Trey Dean got his first sack? That too, yeah. So he, he mixed it up quite a bit. I mean, David Reese was blitzing there too a little bit toward the end. So um, he really did a good job of disguising. He often does and, and sort of getting guys to show blitz and they drop back into coverage. And, you know, that speaks to their versatility, too, and, and guys who can do that and who are trained to do that. So uh, there's there are some things to like about the defense. I know that there were some issues where they gave up some big plays. Mm-hmm. And again, we saw the missed tackles. That's pretty inexcusable. Uh, but there there is still some some things to like and not for nothing. But you really probably didn't even get the best game that you probably could out of that secondary uh, because although C.J. Henderson made a couple of plays, uh, neither of the corners were able to reel off a pick or, um, you know, have, have a huge game, although they both played pretty well. Um, so, like, you know, there, there's still some an area that, that this Florida defense can get to. And so for this game to have both people sort of kind of comment on and say that, hey, the missed tackles were horrendous and, you know, we got to clean these uh, safety issues up and all that – for them to still come away with that kind of performance and have people talk about that, that kind of speaks to their potential as well. Absolutely. So, Will, let's get to uh, – I was going to add some quick hitter notes here, but I think we can hit some of these quick hitter notes and what uh, some of the feedback we got some from some of the Gators Breakdown listeners here. So let me get to uh, these, uh, these tweets here when I asked uh, everybody to send their reactions in. For this first reaction show of the season – 
uh, here. So let's go. Some a lot of guys sent some, some good tweets here. Dustin, Dustin Warbite says, uh, here we go. Lots of issues that need to be addressed, but they are all fixable. Need more games to know if we're worse than we thought or if Miami's better than we thought. Bottom line is we're still on track for all three of our goals and got the W now three weeks to address things before Kentucky. And that, that is the thing. We, 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 we did discuss all these issues. Most of these issues are, are, are fixable. But the part I really like and, you know, that thing we got to remember is we still – there's a lot of overreaction after one game, and especially – the only game on TV at that time. So you're going to have Georgia fans. You're going to have FSU fans. You're going to have rival fans coming in and kind of stirring things the same way. They're going to overreact just like a lot of Gator fans are going to overreact uh, positively or negatively uh, there. So it, it is, you know, Miami, especially with their schedule, it, it, you know, three, four weeks from now could be ranked uh, with, with some good wins behind it. they got North Carolina, I believe, next. That's their opponent. So it would be interesting to watch that and see how they bounce back uh, here. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to take a few weeks to kind of know what this means. Go back and just look at last year and Florida's early struggle against Kentucky and, and the way they bounced back and ended up with 10 wins on the season. It's just – I don't want to say you can't take too much from this, but – you can and can't at the same time. It's just a mixed bag, and we really don't know until we play some more games. Well, also the thing is, though, too, is that nothing really surprised you. I felt like in no, last yeah. game, it's like like you knew that you knew what you were getting out of Felipe Franks for the most part. I mean, like like I mentioned earlier, that people had hope that there would be a vast improvement, but uh, it just doesn't really work out that way. Like I, I just didn't really. And, expect for that to necessarily happen or anticipate that um you would think he's slightly better naturally sure um in his progression and as a quarterback but um he wasn't all of a sudden just going to you know throw for 350 and go you know 25 for 30 i mean that's just not it's not gonna happen for him um and, and also just the, the offensive line too like you you knew that that's gonna be a work in progress especially against that that sort of defense so uh there are issues running the ball and and in pass protection a little bit um you know, th that was not something that was largely unexpected. And then also people talking about the safety uh, concerns. You were also playing without Brad Stewart. He's probably your best safety. So that's another thing that, you know, you can't really throw your hands up and say, wow, you know, I didn't see that coming. Uh, these, these are all things that, you know, that if, if you're a Florida fan, you're probably well versed in. And so at this point, you, you shouldn't be surprised that these are things that you need to fix or, or at least improve. Absolutely. Move on to the next one and get a girl 888 and at NM Quinn says uh, tackling and taking care of the ball uh, was you know, part of her reaction. Uh, Will, something I think we really do need to d discuss here. Didn't seem to take advantage of our quote, get it to guys. Was this a line play, play calling or both? Hope this leads to improvements over the bye week. And a lot of people after the game asked me where Jacob Copeland was. <laughs> it seems, seems like uh, that question never ends. Uh, where's Jacob Copeland this time? Not for injury or anything. It's basically uh, he's on the sideline and uh, didn't really do anything, uh, of course, last night. So that question, uh, of course, is going to be asked. And um, first of all, Florida didn't run a whole lot of plays. I forget what it was off the top. 55, maybe, right off the top of my head. Something like that. 55 plays uh, around there. And then, I mean, you know, Franks had 10 rushes. Um, no, P. Ryan had 10 rushes. Franks had seven rushes. Tony, three touches. Pierce, three touches. Davis, three touches. There's not a lot, you know, not not a lot there, honestly. Uh, there you had, you know, 27, 27 attempts, but, you know, not enough there behind really P. Ryan and, and, and Franks. But uh, receivers as well. And a lot of people were kind of pointing to that. And some people still wanted Kadarius Tony to – to get more more touches, uh, but I mean, look, Ben Jefferson only had one. Tyree Cleveland only had one. Trevon Grimes only had one. So, you know, there just really wasn't a lot of plays out there for the ball to get distributed. Do, do you happen to have the play sheet in front of you, the stat sheet in front of you for for Kadarius Tony? I do. Uh, let's see. Did he have a negative play? Yeah, the one of the sweeps was a negative play. Well, on that play, did he sort of like run around a little bit before before it became a negative play? Um, he did run around. Uh, I watched the game a couple uh, hours ago. He did. He took the sweep. He he was hit first behind. I mean, he he was hit behind the line of scrimmage first. But I mean, he didn't. It didn't. It wasn't like a lot of zigzag run or anything. Okay. 
Because I think that's the fear with him is that they, they still have that fear where it's going to end up as as that sort of negative play because that's something that Dan Mullen brought up uh, during the press conference, and I meant to check that out. I think that was one of like the few plays that I didn't rewatch from from the game. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the issue with him. But still, like you still want to see him get more touches than that, especially when look, it's it's a high percentage play in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a sure thing, but. Again, we've heard so many people, so many times, Dan Mullen say good things happen when the ball is in his hands. Well, get the ball to his hands a little bit more um, because we saw him pull off the biggest play in Felipe Franks's, you know, throwing history off a screen, and it went for a long touchdown for you. Um, and so, you know, that's that's obvious. Uh, the thing with Jacob Copeland, you know, I feel like something has to be a little bit explained is that, like, when you get players talking about other players in training camp. 99.99% of the time, they're going to say some positive stuff about that player if you ask them about that player. And so I think that largely happened with Jacob Copeland is that a lot of players were asked about him because he's he was healthy um, in training camp and he wasn't 100% earlier in his career. And so people in media, myself included, were interested to kind of and curious to kind of see like, okay, like how's this working out? What's he look like? Uh, what's his upside? Because he's a hugely important player for you in 2020. Uh, but that room is so deep that, you know, you, you don't really need a guy like him right now. And so I don't really anticipate him being that big of a part of the offense, uh, at least right now. Maybe that changes, but I just don't see it because you have so many playmakers on this team already um, that you know what you're getting out of them. They're reliable. Uh, they're pretty consistent. So it's just I just don't see a path right there. Um, so that there, there's that aspect. The one guy who I will – who I will, will point out that I wanted to see a lot more of was Grimes. I felt like they should have got him involved in the, in the play calling a little bit more. I mentioned on that interception that I think he was behind the line of scrimmage, so he could have, you know, there, there could have been a screen call for him on there, uh, and maybe he could have made things happen on his own. But he was one of those guys that I would have liked to have seen included a little bit more. And I will say, though, that they did try to go with those one-on-ones early on. The first yeah game there was a play action play a deep pass for van jefferson and, and felipe franks makes an overthrow uh out of bounds so it's not as if that they completely forgot about that or didn't try it it's like how many times do you want to try that um and get behind the sticks or you know go second and long third and long when oh by the way your running game isn't all that successful either all right we'll get to uh the next one here from uh rocket man house says we need more discipline, breakdown when you tackle, and avoid stupid penalties. Franks hasn't made the jump we expected, and the team was overconfident. Where was the push in the run game? So a couple of things there, of course. Discipline, we already mentioned tackling. But, yes, uh, there were some penalties there, some inexcusable pen- penalties, hits out of bounds, uh, you know, some questionable pass interference calls. You know, I, I thought some of them were legit, some of them kind of ticky-tacky uh, there. You get that uh, a lot, too, uh, you know, with, with refs, you know, some – Ticky tacky calls. So uh, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was called ticky tacky equally on both sides. So I think both, I think both fan bases could probably feel the same way uh, about the rest, except for that final drive there for Florida. It was uh, a little ticky tacky there for me in the, in that situation. Um, one topic I did want to hit on was the, was the offensive line. Uh, and they asked, you know, where was the push in the run game? Overall, I, I thought the offensive line played well. They passed block better than I expected them to pass block. Um, they and I thought with the lack of experience and, and, and kind of the that they would they would be able to run the ball a little easier. That it, when you're in a young offensive line, at least being especially in Dan Mullen's offense, being able to run the ball with an offensive line is kind of priority one, and it's easier to teach that. I think there's not a lot of reaction. You just go do your job uh, there. But uh, I was a little surprised, uh, even as good as I thought that Miami front was, uh, that Florida wasn't able to get more and more from the offensive line in, in ways of pushing opening holes for the running backs. Yeah, it's paramount in Dan Mullen's spread offense to get that running game going, but Manny Diaz knows that. and. Yep. Uh, you know, his defense was reflective of that knowledge, and they stacked the box with at least seven guys most of the time there, ready to make a play and snuffing out play and snuffing out runs. Um, they kind of, you know, made a lot of good reads on some run plays, kind of snuffed things out. And the person who tweeted you is correct. I mean, they just didn't get much of a push at all. Uh, they got beat a lot of times. Um, 
and I know a couple of times in particular on the right side, it, it wasn't pretty. Um, and they, and then just it was, some plays were just slow to develop, David. I think that, that too, mm-hmm. you know, it just, I'm trying to find the right word. Maybe disjointed is the right word for it just because it was just a little bit slow to get going. And, and that's largely expected with a new, with a, I don't want to say a completely new group because they've been practicing for a while, but this was the, their first game together, at least first live game together against a, you know, a different team. So there's that aspect of it that can't get neglected. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's big. Uh, and, and that's, I think really as simple as it sounds, that's, that's really the issue there. Um, so I, it's like, they, yeah, they got beat there and that was expected as to some extent, but I think the fear was that this would be, uh, I think the nightmare was that it would be a catastrophe and it wasn't that at least. So, uh, <laughs> that at least was the bright side for Florida. All right, I'll read one more, and I'll throw some tweets out for the uh, next episode as well that I'll record with Will Miles tomorrow. Uh, Last one for this episode, Bull Gator says, as much as I hate to admit it, I think that Desmond Howard may have been correct. Um, uh, It looked as if the Gators did not take Miami seriously, like they they bought into their own hype and were not sharp. That said, this game provides a lot of teachable moments for the next two weeks. Well, I did discuss, you know, did, did before uh, on this on this podcast, probably within the last couple of weeks, that you know this was new territory for Florida, and you know Michael Piran even spoke to it as well. That you know when, when the polls came out, Florida's a top ten team, and not something they're you know haven't really been pegged as going into to a season since his time at Florida, and this was something new. So the hope is, you know, they don't read into the hype a lot. They don't, you know, they they don't get they don't get complacent because of, you know, everybody's saying how good they're supposed to be and they're a top 10 team. But look, and there's still a lot of work to be done. And, uh, the, you know, the, a quote um, out there, you know, the, uh, it's harder to – once you're up there at the top or near the top, you know, it's harder to stay there once you get there. And, you know, last year it was – it may be easier to, to build up and, and that. And you can't get complacent. And with the situation this these guys have been in, from Jim McElwain to to Mullen and winning last year, you know you can't be satisfied with what happened last year, going into this season being in top ten and really take things for granted. I'm not saying that was the issue, not really saying that's what happened, but as you can see, there are some fan, some in the fan base that actually feel that way. Yeah, to me that's that's just too convenient of a narrative for my taste, just because. I mean, like, what, what do you want them to say? Because at the same time, you, you're like, okay, we it's refreshing that Dan Mullen is playing this game up, that he's not saying it's just another game, that he's, you know, taking in the significance of the game and they're confident in their approach and all that stuff is great. Well, you can't have it really both ways and then say when they don't necessarily perform up to a certain level that they took it for granted or that they're too confident or overly confident, especially when like a lot of these guys are, are, are working after practice. So it's not as if like these guys are complacent or mailing it in or just saying like, hey, you know, we're top 10. Let's let's get out of it. Let's get out of here. Like that's like that's just not happening. So it's like, where does it manifest? Like, where does that overconfidence manifest? Like, how does that? where do you see that translate and how, how does it like, does it translate in their approach? I'm not sure about that because right. uh, these guys are staying late out of practice. We see it all the time. Uh, everybody tweets about it every single time. So, uh, I mean, and it's not as if like this was a shocker, like that, that they're, um, you know, Danny knows his playbook or his offensive play calling was a shocker to them. I mean, I had a conversation with David Reese about the, the their ability to read screens and same thing with Kyrie Campbell. It's not as if it wasn't on these guys' minds. It's just sometimes it's just not going to work out for you. And so I think it's just too convenient of a narrative to sort of say like, okay, these are, you know, uh, we're overconfident and we got to plug ourselves in and refocus and this or that because largely uh, – this team was really focused. I mean, I asked Lucas Krul, uh after practice, like, okay, okay, man, like uh, tight ends weren't that big of a, a focal point of the offense. Like, what are you sort of curious about? And he's like, I'm not curious about anything. We're going to dominate. And like, that's not, that, that's a little bit of arrogance and cockiness. Sure. But um, I mean, I, he just said it in a way that like it was coming from the right place. Maybe I'm not articulating that too well, but it, I think he was confident confident and a lot of these guys were confident because they put the work in and so it wasn't like their confidence was from uh, anyway misplaced it was coming from a place where uh they had the right preparation for it so i don't know for my taste it's just a uh, too convenient of a narrative and just something that's just 
again, like one of our overall sort of messages for, for this episode was just, it's easy to kind of just overreact. And I think that you, you can easily formulate some narratives based on an overreaction when it's just, there, there's just a simpler reason, reasoning for things. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll put a bow, uh, on this episode. Will, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming in. You know, this, we'll do this every Sunday, uh, after beginners play a game and, uh, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with it. And uh, at least we got the, at least, uh, uh, they could hear us talk about a win <laughs> and not a loss, uh, for the listeners out there, you know, and, uh, uh, will you, I'm sure now one game played, you have a lot of, uh, a lot of content coming out on the athletic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. I did a story on just like, uh, what America saw from, from the Florida Gators, because I think for like a month, a lot of people were interested, like, okay, who are these guys? Are they good enough to be top 10? What are they all about? And sure they're flawed, but they're, they're pretty pretty entertaining too at the same time. So I kind of went down the list of like, who are these guys and sort of like new faces and a couple of the old faces on this team that sort of make up who they are and just kind of built some details and some anecdotes around that. So that's up now at theathletic.com. And I also do an exit survey after every game, sort of reviewing in more detail sort of what we learned from the game. And I bring on a, a guest uh, who's sort of affiliated with Florida. And so for this one coming up, I have Nick Smith, the former UF linebacker, who of course had to medically retire in January, uh, Orlando native as well. So it made a lot of sense. And his his, uh, his good friend, Ventral Miller showed out. So it made a lot of sense for me to include him. So he gave me his takes on the game and we went over just sort of uh, basically what we learned from there. And throughout the week, we'll have some more good stuff on theathletic.com. All right. And make sure you download that app too. Great content out there uh, from Will and the crew. My final thought here, you know, I think, you know, we still learn more about this team. Uh, it, then we, we, we learn more in a sloppy, hard-fought win versus a good team with a good defense than we would have ever learned versus a, a cupcake like we had last year. So I say learn from it, go to work. Uh, you know, you definitely get better from it. You know, and if Florida's as good as we think they can be, then this should serve as a wake-up call. Uh, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll take it from there and, uh, and uh, you know, we'll uh, get, get a bye week and, and, a, and a cupcake and then get ready for Kentucky. So – Oh, okay. Yeah, well, next couple of weeks, uh, I don't know. You got to, uh, after one big game and a bye week, then we have uh, Cupcake City. <laughs> We're due, man. I mean, it is what it is. At least, at least the um, the anxiety for a lot of fans will be there. Yeah. So, you know, take the good and the bad. Exactly. All right. That's Will Salmon. You can find us work at The Athletic. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SDC. Guys and girls out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.